Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around following rules and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. All right, on this episode of Career Crashers, I am joined by James Bashera. And James is an angel investor, uh, startup founder. He is now a podcaster. He's also an artist, which I just found out. He showed me a great uh, piece of art that illustrates the non-linear career journey, which is perfect because that's what we're going to talk about today. So James, welcome. Thank you for for having me, Isaac. This is, uh, yeah, couldn't uh, be more top of mind uh, for for just some of the art that I was just putting up online. So thanks for having me. Well, so let's start. Um, let's start at the beginning. How did your career journey get started? What would you say was kind of the first, the first sort of career step that you took? Well, it's a good question. Um, and I, I want to give the full answer, but I actually really want to ask, so why the name career crashers? It's like a party crasher, right? You can, you can wait in line and you know, you're on the guest list, you're following the, the dress code and you sign in with the, you know, the host, or you can crash the party and kind of come in the side door and and do things your own way. And the idea of the podcast is really telling stories of people who started or restarted, in some cases, their career kind of in that way. They, they kind of moved around the gatekeeper, so to speak, in the traditional accepted idea of this is the way that you, you know, move from this place to, to the next oh, that's and, a great uh, analogy. And, and crashed it. So. Well, it's uh, like the movie Wedding Crashers, which is one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> I think the, the subtext of the movie is that everybody won in those scenarios. I mean, the weddings were more fun because yes. they crashed them. Yep. Um, it, I mean, in fact, if you watch the movie, you can see that they're actual like, central figures in making each wedding amazing. But yeah, they weren't on the guest list. That, those are the people people want to hang around. So, you know, be, be the crasher. <laughs> well, it's uh, probably similar to the movie. Um, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of uh, angst in being a crasher and kind of going around the gatekeepers. Um, but uh, but it's certainly, uh, I think it certainly beats waiting to be on the guest list for sure. Couldn't agree more. So, so what, what was your, what was your kind of first foray into career? Um, did you have a, did you have from a young age, a really specific goal in mind that you were pursuing and, and did you yeah. want to? So- yeah. Well, the, I think the, when you're, you know, as you said, first step, as I was thinking about it, um, the first step is probably, you know, honestly, way before I was born, my great grandfather was an entrepreneur. Hmm. Then my grandfather was an entrepreneur and then my father was an entrepreneur and it is so honestly i think it was at first when you asked it, i was like oh my first first step in my career uh i guess it was my first job out of college and then i was like well no i think i wanted to start things from a young age um you know at 12 and 13 having dinner conversations with my dad who ran a executive search firm in in uh, back in texas and so we would you know the dinner conversations would be on CEOs and what made great CEOs would be on, you know, great business founders. He was always listening to tapes on, um, on whether it was self-development or whether it was, uh, you know, biographies, he was always just learning. And so I'm just in the car on the way to basketball practice, listening to that stuff. But then if you really want the first step, then it, it really is, yeah, before 12, 13. And it was, 
uh, just at least for my my journey, my friends that are co-founders and, and founders of businesses, many of them didn't have that in their family lineage, but I, I certainly did. So that's probably the real answer is it just was kind of in, in our family, um, you know, starting with at least the stories that I know, starting with my grand great grandfather that came over to the u.s when he was 16 and, and hitchhiked to oklahoma oh and then set up a he literally hitchhiked until and then got on the train until there wasn't a um each train stop until there wasn't a general store and his whole idea was like when there isn't a general store at a stop then i'm going to get out and and start that general that store. is that is like the perfect perfect like very concrete metaphor for an entrepreneur. It's like going to the frontier. You, you go one right. step further where there's nothing that exists. And then you say, I'm going to be the one that that's really cool. So you grew up with entrepreneurship as something that you were familiar with. And it was uh, unlike many people, um, like for me, it, I, I didn't even really think of it as in the realm of possibility because I didn't see it around me that much, but you kind of saw it as a, a possible, um, a possible career choice for you to go start something is that what you kind of went into college intending to do to start a company or no? No, I think like like my whole life, it's been a kind of rediscovering what I loved when I was five and six hmm. it, throughout my teens and 20s of just kind of remembering what I, what I actually loved. Um, and so, no, so when I was, uh, and I think I spent my teens and my 20s kind of away from that, or at least um, in college, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to New York and be an investment banker and, and kind of follow my oldest brother did that. He, um, it was so funny cause I was on the, the front row of seeing how hard, how, how much you can be tied up into 90 hour weeks, 10 years in, um, it had, it really hurt his relationships with his family's, uh, divorced at 31. And, and so it's like on the front lines of seeing that personal toll, that that um that that career choice can make but then i was still like but it's still the place to go for the most options that's what they say it's like do investment bank for two years and it opens so many doors so i just thought well i want to do you know it's kind of like you go from high school then college uh then you know i don't know a job that opens a bunch of doors then to grad school to open more doors and then you take that first you know job at the prestigious whatever law firm that opens more doors so i think i was just in this open more doors yeah. uh, mode. And then the financial crisis happened, thankfully, 2008, wiped out the place that I was interviewing was Bear Stearns and it didn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, and um, and that's where I was furthest along, thought that I was going to get an offer and wow. then just did not exist. Literally, it's so crazy to actually think about it. it just went from this institution on Wall Street yeah. to not existing, from my interviews to not existing um, maybe two months later so outrageous and so i was like well that's probably not gonna happen uh, and in my mind i was like are they still hiring but i don't know how this works um and uh and so um that happened thankfully and then around uh, march or april my senior year with with kind of no maybe it was like february uh where it was like oh man i gotta figure out something quick um that's when I started to reach out to a bunch of nonprofits. I had studied development economics and yet was going to go, which is the study of economics in developing regions, and yet was going to go work in, you know, in Manhattan. And so, uh, you know, talk about doing something because that was kind of the norm versus following 
where my heart really wanted to take me. Luckily, you know, the financial crisis happened and then uh, just shot notes to a bunch of microfinance organizations throughout the world and, uh, and kind of had permission. You know, destruction is such a powerful thing. So just one opportunity was destroyed and it really gave me permission to pursue um, the much less obvious, but much more, you know, passion filled uh, opportunity. That's funny how that happens. I've, I've actually, so many people that I've talked with have had this moment of, you know, the business I was working for or whatever got destroyed or I got laid off and I feel so free now because, <laughs> because I felt like I couldn't walk away from it as long as it was there even though I wanted to, and now right. I feel like I can. So you went and worked in for a microfinance organization, mm-hmm. and at some point along the line, you decided you wanted to start something similar at first, correct? You were doing it like a microfinance startup? Right. Yeah, and so I, I had this idea. So Isaac and I, before we started the, the podcast, I was telling you about this drink, and it was just kind of like, I love crazy drinks and and... Um, I used to love coffee, but now I love adding things to my coffee and and taking uh, random herbs and supplements next to my coffee. And just just for context, James brought this little vial of unidentified green powder, yeah, mixed it with a little water, shook it up, and said, "Here, drink this. You'll feel amazing in about fifteen minutes." So <laughs> we are about fifteen minutes in. How how do you feel, Gen- genuinely? No, I honestly do feel good. Like I, I feel like. Like as if I had another cup of coffee, but without the jitters. Yeah, that's what, and that's the idea. Um, kind of a relaxed focus. Coffee would just make me too anxious and, and I'd feel good for about 30 minutes and then hands would shake. Um, and so started to add things to it and very similar to, um, to the time that I was working at this microfinance organization, I was like tinkering with things on the side and I'm tinkering with this like little drink um that i've been making for years but never really considered it a project until um i was like oh well let me just bottle up 200 of them it starts real real small and actually you know 15 minutes ago i was telling you yeah there's a very different way of of starting a company that i'm used to usually it is kind of a somewhat of a master plan of what we're going to do but um maybe this is actually pretty similar to my first steps into entrepreneurship when I was 22, while I was working for this microfinance organization, I just started to come up with this concept of a way to um, have interest-bearing loans to sustainable nonprofits. So nonprofits that that didn't depend on governmental and organizational aid. This is like way this is too much information, uh, but I loved this new crop of of nonprofits that actually wanted to borrow money and then repay it. And they had sustainable models, whether it was water provision, uh, microinsurance, microfinance. There was just this new crop of, of startups that were built to be, quote unquote, sustainable um, or new uh, nonprofits, quote unquote, sustainable nonprofits um, that wouldn't just ask for more and more donations each year. So I, I thought, man, if, if people could lend to these organizations and get eight, nine, ten percent back in this really rare combination of of you know, social and financial return. This could be amazing. And so, but I still wasn't quite at the point where I like, was like, this is what I'm doing. It was more like, let me just kind of gather the information and see if there's something here. So I did that for a while while I was working for the microfinance organization. Then that stuff just became so much more fun. And, you know, 
hundred times more fun to kind of piece these things together. It's like a, you know inventing something or creating something versus implementing someone else's creation. And, and that's kind of when I realized, man, I really love creating much more than than implementing. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. So was it a scary, was there like a big scary moment where you said, okay, I'm, I'm going all in, I'm sort of leaving a job working for a, another organization and I'm going to start something? Or was it sort of a gradual transition over time? It was a, um, so I showed you the the art and it's, and it's a line that in, there are images of this, uh, something like this. Uh, online, but I just kind of wanted it on canvas. And it's a line that starts kind of smooth and goes up and to the right and then just zags back, then zags forward, then zags down over and around and, and just a bunch of different directions you didn't, you don't expect. And I felt like that was my, my journey was, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun and, and smooth when it's on the side and there's no stakes. It's like, let me do this full time. And, uh, and that's when it'll really take off started to do it full time. And, um, about maybe three months after being like, I need to put all my energy in this. Um, the sec changed their stance on online lending. This is 2010. And I learned, and I got this notice, um, that they were thinking of changing their stance. And then six weeks later that like a memorandum that they were, uh, halting all online lending. And, um, it was that quick for, you know, the freaking government to come in and just say, you're one of 23 sites doing this. Well, you're not going to do this anymore. And I was, you know, 22 year old trying to uh, build something I thought was really novel and, and cool and kind of lumped into these early online lenders that were all shut down. Most of them um, just closed up business. Uh, Prosper, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Prosper, they stuck around and it, and, you know, it was millions and millions of dollars uh, to to kind of ride through this storm. And I didn't have that. I had raised about 25000 from family and friends. So you asked about kind of the stress or what it was like. I had, um, I had a lot of enthusiasm and optimism, um, and it was all upside. Um, and truthfully, it, it, the, these endeavors are always all upside. They're all upside. But I had this version in my head that was like this dotted line that we talked about, yeah. like a dotted line from here up into the right to here. And reality hit, and it was anything but that. And um, it was more more or less like A and B were on the same line, and in between A and B, a lot of whiplash. <laughs> did you feel when you got basically shut down by by the SEC? Did you feel with that twenty five thousand from friends and family? Did you feel like burdened, like oh my god, you owed them some I, return? And it's it is now because that's a, know, that's a really hard thing to overcome. Right. I know, especially from friends and family, if you've raised money for the first time, you feel this obligation. Right? Is that hard yeah. to deal with? Well, I have. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if this is a typical story of the founders on your podcast, but you know, I've lost twenty five thousand dollars and felt the absolute, like the complete, um, I felt like scum. Like I felt like so embarrassed, so, um, so, uh, down that I never wanted to start anything again. And then years later I'd lose 20 million and feel, and I lost quite a bit more than that, but the, you know, millions, tens of millions 
felt the exact same way as I felt at 25,000. Mm. And I think the learning was, actually, I'd say I felt even worse about the 25K yeah. because that's friends and family versus yeah. institutional investors. Somebody, somebody who cuts you a $5,000 check is a is in a different place from an institution that can give you 10 or right. 20 million. Right. My parents were the biggest donors and my brother put in 5K and, and I felt so miserable. Um, I also just didn't, I, the real thing is I also just didn't know how investing worked. I didn't know that they understood that they might lose their money. Yeah. Um, because all I was saying was in my naivete, I was only talking about the upside of what this idea could be. You know, if you can get 9% on your money and have a social impact, mm-hmm. think about how big this could be. And, and it's, um, it just, failure wasn't uh, an option, but it was a reality. Yeah. So, so what did you do after that happened? Did you, did you start another thing right away? Yeah. So I, I came back to the U.S. I was in a living in South Africa, building that out. Came back to the U.S. and I was like, I'm never starting anything again, <laughs> ever again. I'm the worst founder for this this type of uh, these type of interviews um, because I, I I really was like I am a and b I'm I'm basically broke uh, at the beginning of the story and the end of the story and a whole lot of whiplash in between and I was like I, I remember being in a hot tub with my brother and and um, I was just like I am never starting anything again and and he was just like oh it's a, you know. It's how it goes. Don't worry about it. You'll feel differently months from now, and uh, and that's how I felt. And then I uh, I started to work for my dad. Started to save up money and thought I was going to go um, to grad school for development economics mm-hmm. and and then go teach or or uh, pursue research. Um, and 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 there's the option at the table of just working for my dad, uh, but about just a few months into working for even my dad, who was so supportive and, and really amazing um, founder himself. I was like, I cannot work for anyone. <laughs> this is worse. Working for someone else is worse than, than the trauma of, uh, of, of starting something. So then I, uh, yeah, I was like, I have to find an idea. And I, and I was really kind of uh, looking back. I think, you know, candidly, I, I was equal parts, it wasn't very healthy. It was equal parts looking for an escape, hmm. equal parts uh, looking for a shortcut, uh, and equal parts uh, looking to have a lot more fun. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe ten years from now, that'll be that. That actually is an okay, an okay equation. But those are kind of hedonistic when you when you think about it. And, and hedonism is not. That is not why you should start a startup. <laughs> the uh, unless you're a a glutton for punishment, I guess. Right. Yeah. I guess it depends on where, what you find. Where, where do you get your kicks? That's really interesting though. That's a, that's a fairly, in my experience, which is somewhat limited. Um, that's a fairly unusual process where you knew you wanted to start something. And so you had to go figure out what the idea is you want to act on versus you've got an idea and then you're like this, the idea comes first and then turning it into a business comes second. That's really interesting. Cause you had done that already mm-hmm. once. So then it was kind of like just starting something in and of itself was mm-hmm. so attractive to you. So, so you, how did you go about the process of trying to pick an idea? Yeah. That, that sounds like a really interesting, um, you know, way to approach it. Okay. Yeah, I and start something. What and they, you know, the advice, the conventional advice is don't do that. Um, you know, start with the problem you want to solve yeah. first. 
And um, and I think that is helpful. Start with the problem you want to solve, but but I actually think that um, you know I don't hear. I didn't hear or read many stories like this. And then when I got to know the real stories of companies being started, so many of them were actually exactly like this. Yeah. Or else they were tinkering on a totally different problem. Right. Yeah. And, and, and they were kind of in the same vein of like looking for the right problem that can mm. take me to the, the promised land. Um, and, and like, it, and then they chop off that part of the story when they're telling you the and when in my podcast below the line, which, um, it was Which, a great podcast, by the way. Oh, if thank you. If you want to hear, like, in and around the world of startups, if you want to hear the parts that you never hear, that's the whole idea below the line. It's the it's the the bottom eighty percent of the iceberg that you don't see. Yeah, exactly. And that's the um, what I noticed in in my conversations that as I moved out to Palo Alto and then San Francisco or down to Austin, started hearing kind of patterns like this, and then Palo Alto and then San Francisco, and just kept hearing patterns like this, or got to know the real story of. A Facebook where they moved out here, kind of had Facebook growing, but they didn't think that, that was the the idea. They actually, Mark was trying to build out a a file sharing um, service called Wirehog. That's what they started to raise money for before they looked at Facebook with a hundred thousand users, and they were like, "This doesn't seem that great, but maybe maybe this is is worth doing." And he had built a, a previous app before that called Synapse, uh, uh, music sharing, and so um, I actually think that was just maybe more uh more robust idea searching hmm. um but idea searching nonetheless of they wanted to pursue building a company and uh same thing with with um dropbox very similar story of approaching yc with a couple of different ideas and not getting in and then getting in with dropbox hmm. it's hard to think that that story didn't start with all right, I want to start a company. Now let me find ideas. Yeah. If you go through three ideas in 12 months, it's probably because you're in an idea search. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would hear, you know, the, the refined stories that were like, I just needed a way. I didn't want to carry my USB drive around. And so <laughs> I figured just upload the files to Dropbox. And it would be the same for, for Tilt, the payments company that I built, you know, from zero to two million users, I was telling the story of like, I really want to solve collective creation, the problem of people pooling their resources to collectively create the world around them. And I really did. That's 50% of the story. The other 50%, when I look back and when I'm really uh, candid with people, it's that I really did, I felt like this was a shortcut to uh, to impact, hmm. uh, a shortcut to, like, I think it was quite, when I got started, hedonistic, it was impact that something that we should all strive for, mm-hmm. but also encased with a shortcut to that. Mm. Also encased with um, f- a shortcut to financial returns, and and it's it is in the you know the pitch for for tilt was a social network around money. Mm. So it 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 was hard not to say, oh, this is probably going to be really valuable one day, and I'll uh, deal with that you know when it comes. And this is at least I can check that box that it's going to solve for this financial element of life. Hey everyone, we really hope you enjoyed that first part of the interview with James. We are splitting this up into two episodes, so next week, the second half of the interview with James will be coming out where he'll be talking more about building Tilt from the ground up, having it be acquired by Airbnb, beginning to work as an angel investor, and a lot more. So that will be all coming out next week on the second half of the interview with James. Thank you.
Like what you hear? Go to crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at isaac at crash.co. 